morning. Welcome to Daily Exhortations. Uh, today we're jumping ahead to Exodus chapter number 21. Now, as we get into the latter part of the book of Exodus, we are actually going to be introduced to a new topic that we need to lay a foundation for. Because most of the most of the next few passages are going to deal with the law at some level or another. And the worship of the tabernacle and the construction of the tabernacle. And all of those issues in the book of Exodus. If we were to continue on in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we would see many of the same things over and over and over again um, when it comes to the first five books of the Old Testament. And so it's important for the Christian to understand the purpose and the way we should approach the law. Because if, if, the, if the law is useless, we might as well just throw out four of the first five books of the Old Testament and just maybe keep some of the historical narrative. So why, why is it there? What, what good is it for the believer in the first place? Now, in order to lay that foundation, I think we need to look at some key passages in the New Testament. So I'm actually going to turn to those first. We're going to go to Romans 10 verse 4. Okay, which teaches that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Okay, so the key phrase here, and there's there's a couple key ideas that we need to bring into this verse here. But Jesus Christ is the end of the law. So he's the end of it. We're, we're no longer under it. But notice this last phrase, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior are not under the law in the sense that they do not have to earn their salvation. They do not gain merit with God. They do not gain access and acceptance from God through the use of the law. And because Christ has fulfilled it, he has fulfilled the law for us on our behalf. So we are no longer under the law in that sense for righteousness. Another passage is going to be Galatians 3 verse 23. Which says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. And the idea here is we were, before salvation, we were under the law. We were under underneath its, its obligations and held to its standards, especially the Jews. But the Gentiles, according to Romans chapter 2, they do by nature the things that are contained in the law. Therefore, they are a law to themselves and they are judged by that standard as well. I mean, every Gentile nation knows that it is a sin. It is wrong to murder, right? They, they have the law ingrained into their hearts. They know it and they're held accountable on that basis. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. We are shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, though, says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Its primary purpose um, is what we call the second use of the law, and that is to bring us to Christ. It was to teach us about Christ, to show us our sin, our need for a Savior, and to point us to the one who would pay for the penalty that we owe because of our violation of the law. But then it concludes that we should be justified by faith. And Paul lays this foundation in the book of Romans that even with Abraham, his justification was by 
faith. And with David, his justification was by faith, not by the keeping of the law, but by faith. The law merely shows us our need of a savior, of a redeemer. Verse 25, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So we are not under the law. We are, we are set free. And then for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ. And then he goes and talks about the unity within the body of Christ because uh, we are in, in him. So the idea here is that we have been set free from our schoolmaster. We are no longer under him. And he picks up that theme in chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because ye are sons, God sent forth his, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we are no longer under the bondage of the law. We are no longer under its obligations. And then one, one more verse in the New Testament here, Ephesians 2, verse 15, says that, uh, talking. we'll go back a couple of verses here. Um, but verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we are brought near to Jesus Christ. We are brought near to God, but through Jesus Christ. Why? For he is our peace. And this idea of peace is reconciliation. He's the one who brings peace to the relationship between us and God, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And, and really the idea here is he's made peace between Jew and Gentile by putting us into one body. But he broke that wall down by breaking down the commandment, the law. Um, he's abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments. Okay. And so we have peace with God and peace with one another through the death of Jesus Christ. So as we approach the law, going back to Exodus chapter number 21, the believer is not under law to obey it. Our right, especially for righteousness, we are, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ Jesus. So do we cut these books of the Bible out? Do we get rid of them? What purpose do they serve? I think the Christian needs to keep in mind that the New Testament also teaches that we are under the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6 verse 2. Um, it says, bear, ye, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Jesus boiled down the law to love the Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. I believe that is the law of Christ, to love. And love is the fulfilling of the law. There are elements within the law that we keep or we would keep because of our love for God and for others. So while we're not under the exact strictures of the law, we should still look at it and ask, how does this teach that I can love God 
and love my brothers and sisters in Christ better. And I think, I think as we approach it, we should look for principles because God doesn't change. God's desires don't change. So we should look for the principles that transcend culture because the law was given to the Jews. It's not given to the Gentiles. But yet those principles, they still transcend culture. So we're going to look at a principle here in the first few verses of Exodus chapter number 21, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go free out of no- for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go, not go out for free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an all, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men's servant do. And if she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. And if he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then she shall go out free without money. Okay, so... We need to look at the principles behind this passage. Like I said, it's easy to get sucked into the details of the law and miss the heart of God. Um, One word I think stood out to me in this passage plainly, and that one word reveals God's heart for justice. God did not allow any tricks, ambiguity, or taking advantage of his children. And so the one word also highlights the need for clarity in communication. Um, Really, both of these things can be tied together. When we don't communicate clearly, we are being unjust towards the other person. Our expectations must be spoken. They must be spoken clearly. So if we react to somebody doing something and we haven't communicated it to them clearly, we are being unjust. And so I've, I, I look at this passage here and it talks about the servant plainly saying, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out for free. He plainly communicates his desire. He has the opportunity to go free, but he chooses to stay with his master. Okay, um, And then he also talks about if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, and she shall not go out as the men's servant. If she, and I think this is in the context of marriage. Here he's uh, giving his daughter or maidservant to another man to marry because it uses the word betrothed here as well. If she please not her master who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall, she, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully. Notice that word deceitfully here. So we've seen plainly, we've seen deceitfully with her. And if he hath betrothed her on his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. And if he shall take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three, then... Shall she go out free without money? The idea here is God expects justice towards servants, towards those that are engaged to be married and promises are made to. 
And if we, we are to speak plainly to them, we are to deal justly with them. And if we do not fulfill our obligations, then we have an obligation to them. He says here in this case, if, if he takes another wife instead of her, he owes her food, he owes her raiment, and he owes her the duty of marriage. He, because he didn't fulfill his obligations, he was deceitful. He didn't communicate clearly. He didn't follow through on what he had communicated. He owes her. And if he does not these three, then she gets to go free. Okay, she is, she is free. She is released from her obligations. Um, only, he says, without money here in this case. Okay, So again, we're not under the strictures of the law in the sense that I don't have to follow these things to the letter in this sense here. But the principle is that we owe it to other people to fulfill our obligations, to plainly communicate and to follow through on what we have said. And if we do not do that, we are being unjust. And God does not approve of injustice in our interactions with other people. So if you make a promise, follow through. If you say you're going to do something, be clear enough so people understand exactly what it is that you are promising to them. And follow, and again, follow through on what you have said. Because God does not approve of injustice in our relations with other people. Hope you have a great day. God bless.